This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 573. And the quote of the day is, it takes a wise man to learn from his mistakes, but an even wiser man to learn from others. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 573. I appreciate you being here, and this is a great episode. It is with Mario Caleri, and Mario, if you aren't familiar with some of his work, he was the drummer in Oza Motley. He was also the drummer in The Wallflowers, has done a ton of studio work, has done a ton of touring work, and grew up in a, in a musical family. His dad was in the band America. That's actually how he ended up in Los Angeles. And so we talk about not only the lessons that he's learned for himself on the road and in the studio and doing sessions and things like that, but also that he learned from his father. And there is just nuggets and nuggets of wisdom all throughout this entire conversation, a very good perspective of the music business about about serving the song about you know learning different different styles and different skills and being able to adapt to different situations and and life on the road and again just tons and tons of nuggets in here and i'm really really excited that mario decided to come on the podcast i'm not going to waste any more time let's get into it with the one and only mario caleri mario how are you I'm good, Nick. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks so much yeah. for taking the time to chat. I appreciate it. Um, so let's paint a picture. So you said you're you're sitting in the studio now. Uh, so you built your so you live in L.A. and so so you built yourself a nice little a nice little home recording studio there. Yeah, well, I'm I'm a little north of L.A., but I'm close enough. Um, and yeah, I have a probably a pretty typical thing like what a lot of people do. Uh, I was able to convert my garage. Mm-hmm. to a home studio and i did that quite a while ago um and i'm in i'm in here now and we shouldn't hear any outside noise because it's pretty soundproof which is great it's good for my neighbors too yeah do you do you find yourself more doing more remote sessions than in-person sessions well especially now that well we're of in course COVID now time but... yes it's all that but um yeah uh especially especially if you compare it to live sessions where everybody, everyone's tracking together, that's like the rarity, you know, that's right. a real treat. It seems these days. Um, but yeah, it's been going more towards that because everyone's kind of sequestered and has their own setup. And that goes for a lot of music makers and composers. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I'd say it's probably, if I have to just think back to pre COVID times, but I'd have to say probably, more than half from home, probably more like two, three quarters from home, right? If not even more. So yeah, it's just for me, and I think it's a matter of just kind of also just growing the awareness among people that I work with that I do this, and then them people calling me to do it. So mm-hmm. it sort and of has it has its own growth. Because I always wonder, does it you know when you when you decide that you're going to open up your own or not open up but build your own remote studio, and you start getting work for that. Is it another revenue stream or does it replace the other revenue stream? And and I would imagine like it's just an it's another revenue stream, right? Where you say, Oh no, no, I can I can track remotely as well. And they say, Oh, great, because we don't have a studio or the the singers in whatever, you know, Tokyo or something like that. 
Yeah. Well, for me, well, so for me, when I first built this space, it was just to practice. I just mm-hmm. said I need to have a place because I was a I was in bands and I toured constantly, so I just needed a place to play from home. And I had it for many years before I ever put any microphones and gear in here. Got you. But that that happened right when I got off the road. I decided. So for me, it was sort of a transition from being a road guy to like, well, if I'm going to be at home, then I really have to do this because I the writing was on the wall, and as you know, if you're a drummer, especially a drummer in LA, like the first thing anybody asks you is like, do you have, can you record tracks? Mm-hmm. Like it's sort of expected now. Right. Um, so it's pretty crazy. I, I wish, you know, I wish I could say it's an addition to, yeah. but probably more of a replacement. It's just more of like a evolution. You know, mm-hmm. I still do gigs. I had still done some tours, but much less. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, any sessions that, come my way i'll i'll be all over right uh but yeah the majority is now uh from home which i I love it it's such an interesting dichotomy because people who haven't toured or are you know maybe or maybe younger or they haven't toured or whatever the case may be can't wait to get on the road and then after you're on the road for a while you're like i need to figure out how i can do this from home and not go on the road completely yeah it's sort of you know i did it for 20 years Mm -hmm. and uh, I think at some point, you know, I, I've got a family and I've been to a lot of the same places. So many, I didn't feel like I hadn't seen the world or, you know, right. It, at some point it starts to get a little groundhog day ish. And, and there's, yeah, of course there's all those hours in the day when, when you're not making music and you're going, man, I could, I wish I could be doing something creative or, you know, not playing the same set, you mm-hmm. know, as much as you might love the band or the artist you're with. Uh, there is a certain, you know, it's a, it's a gay, it's a job when you're out there touring, it's a grind and it's tricky to bring fresh energy to it. And I always tried to do that. And, uh, I think I definitely knew that it was the time was right for me to make the move when I did it. But yeah, I mean, young guys are just, I mean, when I was young, I, I, I love touring and I would never trade that for the world. It, you know, changes you and you learn a lot about yourself and about the world. Mm-hmm. I so. I remember the first tour that I ever did. And I came home and for some reason I had like this, I had this feeling that I was missing something or, you know, that something that I was like, I want that, I, whatever that feeling I had, I want that thing again. And I was like, I, I, how do I figure that? How do I get that feeling again? And I said, oh, just go back on the road and I can, <laughs> I can get that feeling. And that was like, I totally fell in love with, with being on the road, which is interesting because some people, some people love it and some people hate it. You know, there's so many people who you hear that they're like, no, I just quit touring because I hated it, you know, after a year or two. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's different. And some people don't do well out there. And of course, if you know, you've been a musician on the road, a lot of our peers, they get caught up in substances and, uh, I never, I never really had that problem and I'm grateful for that, but I, I could see what just being on the road a lot. It's just not really healthy for a lot of people. Mm hmm. Um, but for me, I loved it. And, and I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I don't feel like I didn't do as much of that as I wanted to. Right. So, right. So when I made the move, um, our kids were getting a little bigger and they were definitely wanting their dad around, um, especially my youngest that hadn't, wasn't as accustomed to me being gone. And I felt like I ran my course with the last group I was in, uh, and I had a great run with them, but it was definitely time for me to like, just 
play different music and you know just be in different circles and just mm -hmm. it's just time for some other kind of growth sure sure um i wanted to talk about switching gears a little bit when yeah. you when you moved uh when you moved from from buffalo to la how old were you at the time oh oh yeah so um yeah i was born in buffalo new york and i my dad is a great musician to this day it's what he does and mm -hmm. he plays keyboards and sax and he got a job with playing in the backing band for the band america uh in the late 70s and i was a little kid so they were based in la at the time and that's why we moved so we moved to california when i was a toddler so i don't really got remember you. i don't remember buffalo mm -hmm. uh, yeah i was wondering how much of an effect that had on you moving but if you were a toddler yeah. Probably I'm a California much. kid, really, you yeah. know, but I, I have a lot of family back in Buffalo and um, that's still like in my heart because of just a lot of connection there. But mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so we came out here and and boy, am I grateful because what a great climate and, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. especially from Buffalo music <laughs> and oh, totally and the music business and um I just have loved being in California. Mm -hmm. Seeing it, seeing it firsthand with your father being a professional musician, was that something one that that you sort of always knew that's what I want to do? And was he was he sort of the person who tried to steer you towards it or steer, steer you away from it? That's a great question. So I have two brothers. My, my older brother is a filmmaker. My younger brother is a computer engineer. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were never like pushed into music or anything really they just supported our interests which was really great my mom was an artist too um but i did i i remember being really attracted to the music and being a loving loving music because i'd be around at gigs that my dad would play and i'd be really into it even when i was little but i not until when i really got the itch to play drums did i think like i wanted to do that which that happened a little later but i mean i do think i trace some of my desire to be on the road to being taken on the road when i was like five or six my dad took me on the on the road with the band america oh that's cool and i do remember that because it was really cool you know i was hanging out and we were on i was on planes and i had my little bag and i was just like this kid on the road that's pretty awesome i and, mean how many people have that experience and it's not like you're touring with you know i mean you're touring with america like it's not yeah. like it's you know some some rinky dink outfit i'm sure i couldn't appreciate like i didn't really have any context but it was it was definitely cool and and so years later when i got on the road i'm like i really i hadn't really thought of it that way but i thought you know maybe i got the bug when i was a little kid and, and mm -hmm. it must have made some kind of impression on me because i knew i wanted to do it as i got older into music i knew i wanted to be in a band that toured and 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 travel that way so mm -hmm. how much how much did you lean on your dad in terms of advice and and you know just trying to navigate the business yeah um i mean i can't there's no way i could uh overstate how much i learned from my dad you know mm -hmm. when it comes to just like playing music and professionalism and yeah the business stuff too but really you know the main stuff i i learned from my dad was you know the kind of common sense stuff that really serves me to this day like show up on time you know be prepared know the music um and i think one of the things too the biggest thing is my dad always said hey if you're going to be a musician you need to be 
you know, all all styles are valid. All styles of music, and you need to be versatile if you want to work. That's what he told me. If you if you want to work, you need to be versatile. So don't just get stuck playing one type of music. And I really took that to heart. And I think it's that more than anything that my dad taught me, I think really informed the kind of musician that I've become and mm-hmm. that I always hope to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Before before we got on this call, I was thinking, you know, there's two, obviously there's two types of drummers, right? So there's a drummer that's been in a band for 15 or 20 years. And whether it's good or bad, if if the drummer isn't the best drummer, they're probably not going to fire the guy, right? If they're they're all they've all been friends, they've been together for fifteen years, and the guy's like a part of the band. He owns part of the band, or he's in the band and plays on all the records, and does all the tours and everything. Um, so I think it's a little tougher to get fired in that situation. Not impossible. I think it's a little bit tougher. But someone who is is a hired gun or a session player or is hired for particular situations you're getting hired because you're the best person for that job. And for you, that's, that's impressive to me is how many different bands that you've been in, which means the you've been hired specifically because you were the right person for the job and that versatility and understanding different styles of music is what landed you in, in all of those situations. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how you sort of navigated learning all those styles and being proficient at all those styles and, and getting different opportunities, working with different bands in those styles. Sure. Um, that's a loaded question. Yeah, no, there's a lot to unpack there, but so if, if, if we looked at like the first like big gig I had, which is, uh, not that I've had tons of gigs, but was the wallflowers and I joined them in 1995, but just immediately before that, that time, by a few years, I was going to college as a jazz major at Cal Arts in Valencia. And that was when Charlie Hayden was still on the faculty and it was, mm-hmm. it was a great program. And Tootie Heath was my mentor, um, from the Heath brothers. And at some point during that time, I realized, Oh, I don't want to be just play jazz. And the people who do, who are going to stay in the, see this through, you know, that's, that's a big commitment. And, and I started playing in, in bands in LA at the same time. And, realizing that there was other stuff I wanted to do. Um, and while I was, so I, this is going to connect to some of the later stuff, but while I was at Cal arts, I got put, placed in, they had like a salsa band. So I started learning, um, some Latin styles and my second year Efren Toro was my teacher Awesome on drum kit. Yeah. And he, he's a really heavy guy. Um, so then a few years later I get in the wallflowers and, and actually, to be honest, that was more of a stretch for me it was really just, and it was great for my drumming at that time was just to really pare down the amount of notes I would, I would typically play and really focus on my placement and on my timekeeping and playing songs and playing the forms and just committing myself to that type of playing. Mm-hmm. So when I, but that's all anybody knew of me when it, for, for most people, they see, they see a guy playing in this rock band that got pretty big. Right. So then down the down the road a few years later, I ended up in the band Ozo Motley, which is kind of what you're referring to is to a lot of people. It's like, what? How does this guy fit in that band? Um, and there are some connections to Cal Arts because a couple guys from Ozo Motley I went to school with at Cal Arts, and I already knew them. Um, uh, when I went when I auditioned for Ozo Motley, I I realized that I had somewhere buried in there some of this Latin stuff that I had hadn't tapped into at all mm-hmm. in a long time. And that taught me something important too, which is like anything I realized like anything that we learn 
is valid and you never know when you're going to call upon it. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it, that got me more back into like the groove type of playing and, uh, and, and they were having to, and when I first joined Osomali, they were having to, you know, admonish me to play more and play more fills. And it was, I was so used to really pl- playing it, uh, pretty strict when I was in the wildfires that I, I was just trying to play like the pocket mm-hmm. so much that I had to realize, oh yeah, there's a whole other personality here that I that I can tap into, right? And kind of gave myself permission. Sure. Was the was the um, the Wallflowers was that was that Jacob's band? And for those who don't who don't know, it's yeah. Jacob Dylan, it's Bob Dylan's sons. Was so what, did he get a deal and then put the band together, or did you guys form that band together? No, so um, he had a band, and they had a record before the one that everybody heard. They had a record deal. They were on, uh, I think, Virgin Records, and they put out a record, and they were a band. And then the band started to change. First, the bass player left, and he they got a new bass player. And then what happened? Then right when they made the record that everybody heard, that I toured on, the drummer left and the guitar player left. So they used session people for that. So they used a bunch of people on guitar and the bass player was a fan from, I want to say Edie Perkel records. Mm. Uh, and he wasn't really that widely known of a commodity yet, but the bass player said, Hey, I want to get this guy, Matt Chamberlain to cut the record because they needed a drummer. So that's how he came in. Um, and then, so then the record was in the can and then, they had three guys, Jacob, Keys, and Bass, and they still needed a guitar and a drummer. And there was auditions, and I got the gig. Nice. Um, thankfully, it wasn't like a, some crazy Hollywood cattle call. That's what I was going to have my next no, question. <laughs> they, they had seen me play in, in another band, and they had specifically uh, looked around for me. But they did try some other people, including some pretty name, name guys. Um, but I think I was the right fit at the time. I was younger, and I... I played. The, I learned the songs really well that they gave me. I I remember like I applied myself to it incredibly, and I even like transcribed it and and yeah. So then that happened, and it it just went up up and up from a we were playing in clubs and stuff when I started with them, and then it, the record kind of took off. I was gonna say that band yeah. skyrocketed quickly. Yeah, it seemed it seemed like it, but I was gonna say we for you it, it probably didn't seem too quick. It was pretty quick, but it was not as quick as it seemed because we were on the road for not quite a year, just like really pounding it while the record started to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's always an argument going back to what you're saying about learning, Mm -hmm. learning a bunch of styles and, 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 you know, differentiating yourself by, by sort I don't want to say being a chameleon, but being able to play all these different styles and adapt to different situations. And I always hear both sides of the argument of, mm-hmm. like you said, no, uh, I'm just going to play jazz and that's all I'm going to do. And I'm going to be the best at it. Mm-hmm. Or there's, I, and I hate to say the jack of all trades because that almost gives it a negative connotation, which I don't mean it to, to be. But so I, I obviously I, I know, know exactly what side what you sit saying, on. You're saying there's an argument to be made for being a specialist and there's an argument to be made for being a generalist. Right. And I think to be a specialist, um, you know, I kind of think that they're both misnomers, to be honest. I think that solution to eat to, to all of this is just to be yourself. 
So you take a guy like Jim Keltner, like mm -hmm. you could make either argument about Jim. You could say, oh, he's such a specialist. Like you hear him, he's, um, he does his thing, whatever you want to call that. Right. But his thing applies to a lot of different types of music. So if you love a lot of different stuff and you concentrate on building your vocabulary and your voice and your identity, that can be universal at the same time as having a really strong identity. At least I hope. Like mm -hmm. that's my goal, you know, with, yeah. with um, becoming more of myself all the time, you know. Because when I was younger, and I think when we were all younger, we emulate. Sure. You know, because we have to start somewhere. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, we, we have our heroes and we, you know, there's stuff that's always going to be in there in our DNA of, of our playing. And it, hopefully at some point, you know, something about ourselves comes out in our playing. And that's what draws people to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, I think that's the hardest part of being, being a musician is, is finding yourself and, and finding your sound. Uh, and I think, and I think we, or let me ask you, do you think it's yeah. a matter of, of, of overanalyzation of, oh, I'm a specialist or I'm a generalist or I do this or I do that and, and putting too many boxes around the stuff that you're doing? Do you think yeah, that's where I, that I, argument comes I from? Back, I just go back to like, so for me, I was for better or worse. And I think it's for better. Like I was kind of embedded by my dad's advice to be open to a lot of different kinds of music. And to not pigeonhole myself. Mm -hmm. uh, so I love a lot of different types of, of music. And, and I don't think I'm the right guy for everything. But there's a lot of stuff that I enjoy that I think I can do. Right. Um, but when it comes to like, what is it that um, we all should be doing or, or striving for? I really think it's discovering our own identity. Whatever that is. Like, because that is the thing that we can do you can do better than any anyone else is no one can do that as good as you nick no one can be nick right so and no one can do me as good as me and i think it's so easy to look at other people that we that we admire and go like oh man like in a good way like i really love this guy's playing but then you can also take it in a bad way like you know how we do we get into comparing and we you know i'll never sound like that good or i'll mm -hmm. never be able to do that well you shouldn't strive to do that. You should strive to be you. Right. Because the guys that you admire, they weren't sitting around trying to be someone else. I mean, they probably did have their heroes. Mm -hmm. and it, but then it somehow it came out as them, you know? I remember yeah. having a conversation with Dennis Chambers, and he was saying that if you sounded like someone else, that was like blasphemy mm. back in the day. Like, you didn't want to... I mean, he was like, sure, everyone sort of lick, uh, lifted things from other people. But if you went if you went to a club and you were playing a gig and you were you were like the the mm -hmm. minor league version of Steve Gadd, people talked about that and, and they kind of they they did not uh you know I mean they frowned on that they didn't respect that they did yeah. not respect that at all for sure yeah especially for um improvisational music where you know the kind of vocabulary that some guys really have that's identifiable to them if you're copping that. Like I could really see that being looked down upon for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, how do we how do we get there? Like I, I don't know. I just keep trying to play the way I hear it and get better at my listening skills and then of course my physical skills on the on the instrument and hope that I'm 
expressing something that's unique to me. I, mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't go in with an agenda like, I need to put my stamp on this. Because when I hear that music, I don't like that. So I think there's a fine line here between, you know, uh, when I'm talking about like our personal identity, it's, it's, uh, it's just who we are. It's like, you know, they, they can identify people if they just, if they see you walk just like a fingerprint or a facial scan or an iris scan. Mm-hmm. Like everyone has a unique gait. And I think that's the same true of the same could be true of your musicianship, the way you drum, the way you play any instrument. Like we all have a different, we have a different spirit. We have a different body. The way we approach our instruments different. The way we attack the drums is different. Um, and that's what I wish, you know, I, thought about more when i was younger but it's definitely something that i have thought about the older i get it's like somehow foster my own like not try to like there's a lot of licks out there man that i never i don't learn because i don't want to have anything like that (laughs) right like for real i hear i hear stuff in playing and i'm not going to name names or name licks but there's stuff i hear out there that just sounds like um muscle memory or repetition of stuff that other people came up with like Mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of our instrument that we can learn and assimilate, assimilate, but we have to be really careful of stuff that's like, maybe it's like what Dennis was saying, identifiable to a certain cat or a certain era. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying I figured it out, but the more I keep doing it, the more I'm getting comfortable in who I am on the instrument. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's more or less of that, of that, sort of self-expression, creativity, unique sound now? Uh, I It's probably the same. I don't know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of people playing stuff that all sounds the same, but then you have people who are definitely the trailblazers, you know? Mm-hmm. And you know, when you hear it, you're like, oh, that guy, that guy plays like him, you yeah. know? Nobody yep. sounds like that cat. And then you see other people and you go, oh, maybe they're kind of trying to find their thing, but they're just doing a version of, these three things or whatever right um i i don't sit around and listen to other drummers to pass judgment but i do appreciate the guys that i hear that have a real strong voice i'll say that Mm -hmm. um and i think there's there's plenty of it if you know where to look i mean i it's astonishing uh the drumming that's going on in our era it is especially with this younger generation that's been raised on youtube and you know i i remember listening to my records and just had like had a Billy Cobham record and going, how's he doing that? Yep. And, and trying to picture it in my mind's eye, not having seen him live, no, no video, you know, I just got a vinyl. And then now I go, I look up YouTube and I look up him playing this piece and I go, Oh, like at some point I realized, Oh, he plays open handed and he sets up, <laughs> right. up something this way. And this is how he's doing this. Like it makes sense. Now yeah. I can see it. And there's 37 other videos of people dissecting it and teaching yeah. it to you. And yeah, you could slow yeah. it down to half speed, like, <laughs> right. whatever you want. It's yeah. all there. Yeah. So I, I am a little, and I think a lot of my peers from my generation and even younger than me, we, we talk shit. We're like, man, I'm jealous of these kids. Like growing up with all this information. Yeah. You know, they, it's all right there. You get these kids that are, you know, like this kid, J.D. Beck, what is he, 17 years old or something? Just uh-huh. absolutely blazing. Yep. Like, I got an identity, you know, he's got a vocabulary, and and he picked up on stuff from the cats that he dug, and I guarantee you he was able to sit there and watch them. And not that he doesn't have great ears, but 
uh, I, I think it's amazing what, what, how far kids can get, you know, earlier on in their development, maybe because of the accessibility of this information. So, I mean, it's all out there for us too. It's no right. excuse. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, I always get, I get a little bit of shit because like, I'll try to, I guess I'll try to like put my opinions on, on my guests and I'm not trying to do that. Uh, okay. But I, the, the only, I, uh, let me just preface it with, I love sure. any drumming content that's out there. And if it makes people get into drumming, I love it. Right. So I don't care how yeah. you, I don't get, I don't care what door you come in. Doesn't matter sure. to me. Um, but the only thing that scares me about all of the information that's out there is that you'll watch one salsa video and you're like, Oh, I got it. And then you'll watch one jazz video and say, Oh, I got it. And then, and now, so there's a, a lot of people out there who have surface learned uh, and said, okay, yeah, I know how to play all those styles when they mm. really don't. But for me, like when I learned jazz, I got one jazz record and I played it 8,000 mm. times. And then I got a second one and I played that mm. 8,000 times and, and same way that you learned. Um, so I'm, I'm fearful that, that there's so much information out there that it's almost to the detriment of, of younger players because they're like, there's just, there's mm. just too many options. Yeah, and you're right. That's 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 the other side of it is um how do they uh how do they go through and and get in depth with the stuff they need to and yeah because they got to move on to the next thing. Yeah, and the other the scarier uh, uh extrapolation of what you're saying is like then you get the people who have surface learned the stuff that are out there masquerading as teachers and that's what scares the crap out of me. Right. Cuz right. I see um I I think I know like uh if you could see my fingers, I'm showing a really small amount of Latin music. Uh-huh. And I see people that I that are teaching quote unquote Latin drumming styles and it's just so wrong and bad that and it's if it's wrong and bad to me, the people who are that who that's their culture and they grew up in that, it's gotta be appall gotta be appalling. And it bums me out because I'm like, this this stuff is worthy of respect and serious study. And it's just content to some people right. like this music is cult. like all these musics are culture, mm -hmm. you know, and it's somebody's culture. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of downside to this information. Like people don't take it seriously or not in depth right? or don't give it the respect or the weight that it should have. And do you think I, I don't think that any of these people who are surface learning and going out and teaching it really think that they have it down. But it takes a lot of balls to go out there and say, here's how you do X or Y. And that it does. It's just about making money. So, yeah. but yeah, if you, if you, if you, um, you know, that goes to the, that goes to this sort of, uh, quandary of drum instruction versus music instruction. And they're mm. not the same thing. And there's a lot of drum instruction out there and not, a, not a lot of it's musical. Yeah. You know, yeah, you can learn some stuff about the mechanics of playing the drums and some, things you can do on the drum set that maybe are reminiscent of styles or maybe approximate styles, but we're not talking about music really for the most part. Mm -hmm. And and that, you know, that is just what it is. You know, it, I am not opposed to people getting excited about drums and learning. I do worry about the people that are, that are always teaching <laughs> that tend to be, you know, like, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> 100 agree and i've said this before i actually did a podcast about it it was a little bit different but i said there's a big difference between the drumming business and the music business 
And there's plenty of people who work in the drumming business who would never get hired in the music business. I don't operate in the drumming business. And that's why, like, uh, it's, it's really nice of you to, to seek me out. I I don't do stuff like this very often. And, Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I'm not a real drummy drummer. Um, and I don't put myself out there in the drumming business in that world very much. Um, and, and that's okay. I'm, I'm, that's my choice. Uh, I don't know that that appeals to me or where I'd fit into that, but, um, but I think it's possible to promote drummers who, you know, you're, 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 um, interviewing all kinds of drummers and a lot of them are amazing musicians, but I have a criteria. musicians. I always have a criteria though, for anyone that comes on the show though, like they have to be, they have to be a legit player. They have to be gigging. They have to be playing. I mean, unless they're like known as an educator and they're, and that that's what they do. And they're, like very very good at that um, sure. but but i don't have like i don't have youtube stars or instagram stars or or anything like that on there not that i that that doesn't have its place it just doesn't have its place here and they have their platform for that thing right and they have their right. audience dialed in and you're, you're 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 appealing to a different thing a different perspective so yeah so right on yeah but yeah i totally agree the music business and the drumming business are very different there's a little bit of crossover mm-hmm. uh, and i i'm grateful for being able to make music as long as i have and like everyone else especially in these times man uh, we're just all hanging on day by day because right. there's no gigs uh there's not a lot of records being made and then you have even the film like you know a lot of people will hire drummers because they they make movie for music for movies or tv you know and and that's shut down for now so mm-hmm. it is a precarious time and my solution to that is just keep worrying about today i can't worry about tomorrow right i just gotta do the best i can today to keep improving and doing the best work i can mm-hmm. and you know that's that's what we can control so yeah. One line in the Dream Symbol family that I think is really cool is the Dark Matter family. They have the Flat Earth, the Moon Ride, and the Dark Matter Energy. And although they're all made a little bit differently, they all involve the Dark Matter process. And this is really cool. Check this out. They take a symbol that is already finished and then put it back in the oven, hand hammer it, and then shock it with cold water, and then put it back in the oven. And what happens is the ash and the soot from the oven are fused to the top layer of the metal, which give it this really, really unique sound. And you know what? I want to let you hear exactly what this process does to a symbol. Check them out. To learn more about Dream Symbols, their Dark Matter line, and all their great products, be sure to check out DreamSymbols.com. Do you know why when you tune a drum, you're supposed to go diagonal across the drum? That's because your drum is flawed. I hate to break it to you, but your drum is flawed because of the way that the edge is. The typical edge doesn't allow the drum head to sit on it properly. So when you tighten down one lug, it causes the drum head to shift and pop up on the other side. That's why you have to tune it diagonally. But now with the new Sonicleer Edge from Mapex, that's a thing of the past. The Sonicleer Edge allows the head to sit flush. So it promotes ease of tuning, increased shell resonance, and optimal tonal clarity. So you're going to have to do a lot less work 
and get a lot greater sound. To learn more about the Sonic Clear Edge, go to mapexdrums.com. You know, I ask this question a lot, and and I realize that it's a tough question to answer, but I'd love to hear your perspective. When I was when I was a younger player, I thought that everything that I was playing was great. I thought that I was playing super musical and like I was learning all the right stuff. And then now I look back and I'm like, okay, I was totally overplaying. I was playing for my ego. I wasn't playing, uh, you know, I wasn't playing musically at all. But the question is always, how do you know? You know, you don't know what you don't know. So what's your advice for, for younger players that are still on that path of like trying to figure out if the shit that they're playing is even good or not? I think the people who you're playing with um, will tell you. And, the, and if you're doing the right stuff, more people will want to play with you. But as a practical matter, um, I would tell anyone because this is what helps me the most, because we're always constantly checking in with ourselves, like, am I playing this stuff the right way? How how am I doing? Mm -hmm. Record and have your own recording break. Even if you get one or two cheap mics and you get a free DAW, like, I'm not saying you have to build a fancy recording studio, so I want to try to make this sound as inclusive as I can. Sure. Find a way to record, find something, even if it's a play-along track or a drumless track, and record yourself, then go back in especially if you're on a click and go and look at the grid and see what you're doing. See what, where your placement is of your kicks and your snares. See how your time feel varies or stays consistent from the front of the song to the end. There's, there's nothing more informative and that's not just going to make you better at recording. It's going to give you a better time feel. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I think if I was, trying to counsel a young drummer, I would say that mm -hmm. record and then, and don't be afraid to look at what you're doing. I mean, I, I, I'll sit, I'll, I'll be doing a drum take and I'll think I played some hot shit and then I'll go and I'll look at it and I'll go, wow, it was the take before when I was just kind of thought I was just getting my handle on the arrangement, but I was m more settled in. I was more relaxed than right. then the t take that I thought was so great. Yeah. I, I pushed it mm -hmm. and I didn't, and I might've not, played the snare you know I, I hit it too hard the, the tone was better you know you like there's all these things that you that you'll learn about yourself so it's informative in a lot of ways sure but and yeah, i know i, I asked that question for younger drummers but i this is applicable to any to anyone at any level oh, totally. no matter how long they've been playing yeah it's it's endless man there's you know and then sometimes you go how does it feel like okay you could look at the thing and go oh it's moving around a little bit but how does this is it musical like does it does it move you and yeah at some point you got to get other people's opinions because they're the ones that are going to be hiring us or wanting us to play their music or be in their band. Mm -hmm. If you're getting good feedback from other people, then you're on the right track and right. maybe finding people who will be honest with you. You know, I definitely thought I was like the shit when I was 16 years old. I think a lot of people do. I, uh, I, I'm, pr I'm fairly confident that I was the greatest drummer in the world when I was 16. Oh, I was tearing it down. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah. I don't know. I'm sure you saw me in the in the magazines and everything, right? Oh man, yeah. All the articles <laughs> they were writing about me. <laughs> I mean, I swear to God, when I was in high school, and uh, I I remember that they need that 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 the word on the street was the Red Hot Chili Peppers needed a new drummer, and I was like, that this is my gig. I should be their drummer. Wow. And they got Chad Smith, and I was like, oh, I'm so bummed. <laughs> and then I heard the records. I was like, now nah, this guy's good. Yeah, yeah. You're like, what? They got some guy from Detroit? Come on. Yeah. 
talking about recording and and seeing where you're at and going back and listening um there's there's always the worry of like okay you want to self-evaluate but you don't want to you don't want to get too critical and like and beat yourself up and and have it be a negative experience right it's always a it's a fine line it's about you've progress so we're talking about like let's say you just set up and you're beginning or you're, you're not beginning but maybe you're not a working guy that gets hired to do this it's important to be able to self-analyze so you can see not to be hard on yourself but to see where you need to go and then you can you can check back in a month later you know you don't have to be up in your own business every minute and see and work on some things work with the metronome or whatever it is you need to do and then Check in with yourself by looking at that again and going, huh, have I made the progress in the ways that I, that I should? Uh, yeah, so I think, I think it's really informative. I don't think there's really anything to be lost in doing so. Mm-hmm. You know, I get a lot out of it, like I said, now, because here's the thing. The people that I send my tracks to are going to be critical of it. So I better know what I'm doing. Right, right. I better have a critical eye on my work. Mm-hmm. Because I, I've learned, like, I work with some people who have incredible ears, and they'll catch stuff that I miss. Right. So I've, I've had to, like, you know, if anything, you know, be more tuned in to some of the nuance sure. of what I'm doing. Sure. Have you ever had to deal with any of the sort of, like, self-deprecating, like, or negative self-talk that we all have? Especially in L.A., because L.A. is such a competitive town, and... We, you talked about comparison earlier of, of like you could you can go into any club in LA and find a drummer that is smoking hot, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Have you have you had to deal with any of that stuff personally, or like having to internalize any of that stuff? Like catching attitude, or just my no? Own, I mean, for your own your own sort of uh, headspace, like headspace and negative self talk. Because I think it's such a I think it's really critical to talk about, especially with the age of social media where you can go out and just compare yourself to all these other players and like it can get, it can get really dark really quickly. Yeah, totally. I, we all go through it. Um, I mentioned like the Wallflowers made a huge hit record and Matt Chamberlain was the drummer. Well, that was some of the toughest times for me because it was like the best and the worst of times for me because I was in this really successful band, but I, by some of the people not my bandmates but some of the people in the structure of the organization were really attached to matt and what he did that they gave me very little freedom to reinterpret anything Mm -hmm. and i was also iced out of the next batch of songs that were recorded for no good reason really except that they wanted matt and he's phenomenal so i had a really phenomenal player kind of held over my head and i did let it get to me um, and it was, it would be a thing. I think I have to say it was understandable because it was a lot of it wasn't really fair. I was doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, my answer to it now as I've matured is like the thing it ties back to what I was saying earlier. So yes, uh, you know, there's always people out there that can play circles around us. There always will be. Um, and there'll be people who are better at any number of things than, you know, quote unquote better. But no one is going to do you better than you. Right. And that's where we all have to go. It's not like a safe space to retreat to because, like, I'm myself and it makes me feel good. <laughs> you know, like, it's not to not be critical. Right. But it's right. to know that, you know, we have something to offer that's unique to us and our own humanity and our own life experience and all those things we bring to the music. 
each one of us and it's different for each of us and mm-hmm. that i'm way more interested in hearing someone unique than in hearing someone shred yeah, well, yeah if it's me unique too. and shredding that's awesome too right and there's quite a bit of that too <laughs> yeah i mean i think about like going and seeing like toss panos you know mm-hmm. just like really ripping but with a really strong identity yeah Nate Smith um, comes to mind too. Oh, sure. I mean, we're we're living in an age where there's a plethora of guys who are phenomenal yep. with a really nice identity. Uh, but yeah, I think that has to be where we go. Like, it, it's comforting, yes, but it also makes sense. You know, it doesn't do us any good to to beat ourselves up. And I know you probably talk about this all the time. But yeah, I think being being yourself and f- finding yourself is like our task. It isn't mm-hmm. just getting good at the mechanics of playing this instrument. Yeah. It's discovering who we are because then we can figure out, then we can find a way to share something that that's the whole reason why we play an instrument mm-hmm. is to communicate something. These, these are vehicles for self-expression and communication. Yep. And I, you know, I think a lot about looking outward for, for it, whether it be inspiration or knowledge or, or sort of a, a system or a roadmap. And I think what happens is a lot of times we say, Oh, well, this is what Mario did, or this is what this person did. or This is what this person did. So I have to figure out how I can make what they did fit into my world where I think that's the wrong approach where I think it's better to say, Oh, that's what Mario did. That's what this person did. That's what this person did. Let me take sort of a combination of all those guys and girls and put it into my thing and go down that route. So you don't have to go the same route as, as as everyone else or you don't have to quote unquote you know make it i hate that term but by a certain age or or have accomplished this thing by a certain time like this other person did yeah anything that we can take from other people in a good way and not a stealing way but just and maybe even some stealing but Mm -hmm. i I really think like if you're not trying to regurgitate somebody's stuff verbatim it's going to come out like you like we all we all learn from each other that's that's important too mm-hmm. i mean there's some licks that i have like or just not even licks but like feels and grooves that mm-hmm. i have that i stole from people i think i there's this one thing in particular i think about that i i play a lot i mean it's like it's just ingrained in what i play i stole it from carter beauford but what mm-hmm. i didn't realize i stole it when i was 15 or 16 i stole it and it's totally wrong and you know i'm not playing anything close to what he was playing but now it's just like turned into my Your own thing. thing right and that's cool because you yeah you you from the from the get go it was you how you heard it and then interpreted through the way you could play at that time right yeah it's amazing I mean, how got, those things happen yeah we got to develop our vocabulary somehow i i really think it's interesting to to try to pick up on phrasing and other stuff from other instruments than and drums because it tends to get really incestuous with uh the drummy drumming you right. know there's, there's a lot out there a lot of stuff if you get your heads out of drum books or drum videos mm-hmm. talk, um, about, talk about phrasing and, and and just sonic choices a little bit how you were saying like you're getting it one you're getting it from every from other instruments but it's one thing to listen to a groove and hear it but but how are you pulling how are you hearing different phrases or how are you pulling them out because i think that's let me rewind a little bit. I'm rambling yeah. a little bit. I remember when I really started to understand what phrasing is and and how to actually do it and how it could change everything. And then Keith Carlock came out. He wrote an article in Modern Drummer about phrasing and then came out with a DVD. And I was like, oh, mm. no, like everyone's going to know my secret now. Mm. You know, 
Um, but but it was such an eye opening thing, and I think that it needs to be talked about more about really you know paying attention to phrasing and orchestration and and all of those different things. So how are you how are you hearing those things, or how are you looking for them? And for someone explain it to me like I'm you know oh, like man. I'm, like I've never done this. I don't know that I'm the guy to explain it. I really don't. <laughs> I really don't, to be honest, Nick. Sorry, uh, I put you on the no, spot. It's cool. I, yeah, I think you know, hearing, hearing, just listening to sax. Like you could just go, okay, I'm going to listen to a sax player from a Bop record or something, mm-hmm. and you can hear how just take four bars of their ideas and go, okay, they went. You know, I don't have all their notes, but I can go high to low. And maybe try to approximate, like instead of going, what did, you know, Steve Gadd do or Billy Joe do? What did this guy play? And maybe I could put that on my instrument. It's not going to sound like any drummy thing. So, I mean, there's practical things you could do. But in terms of listening, I mean, this just hits really endless, man. Yeah. Um, But, you know, trying to use your drums more melodically. I mean, there's plenty of guys who did a great job of that and really set the path like Max Roach. You know, he was a hero of mine, and I got to meet him when I was young, and and he was the nicest guy. He signed my record. Nice. I have it here in my studio, Drums Unlimited. That's awesome. Um, but no, I I don't think I can ex- really expound too much on that, um, because I I don't know. I don't think I could explain it that well. Yeah, I think it's you know the way that I always think about it or try to explain it to people is like it's breaking out of that like that quarter note sort of just box. And everything, boom, boom, da, da, do, da, da, crashing on the one, oh, sure. all of that stuff. Like, okay, can you start your fill on the end of two? Or can you hit your crash on the, you know, on the end of three or something? Like, if you start, if you start thinking about like, okay, you have all these other subdivisions and placements that you can place these notes and then you can start developing melodies and you start hearing things a lot differently. For sure. Breaking free of like the, uh, the ruts of of drumming like whatever that is for you like and getting over bar lines and not for the sake of it but you know if 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 it's it's something that you need to express to being comfortable being able to be comfortable doing that yeah right right and i'm not the best to explain it either so no but that's that's a great point because a lot it's easy to get stuck in those kind of familiar patterns Mm -hmm. especially Um, when you when you're first starting and you're you're learning you know, and I, we don't have a ton of, I wouldn't say I have a ton of like beginning drummers who are listening to this, but, um, but I think that once you, you learn those things and then next thing you know, you're 10 years in and you're still, you know, it took me a while to get out of that box. So I, I I'm speaking from experience that, you know, it took me into my, into my twenties that, that people, that people were kind of like, you know, you're, everything you're playing is pretty square and, and you know, just stacked on top of each other. So anyway. Yeah, I didn't mean this to turn it. This is a therapy session for me as well about no, my no. my my playing history. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is, I mean, this is a hard question, but where do you see um, where do you see it going? Given the given the circum circumstances that are going on, mm-hmm. like, do you think we're going to see a return to live music this year? Do you think it's going to be a lot more just remote recordings and and uh, and virtual concerts for the time for the foreseeable future well yeah i mean i think it's pretty clear right now that everybody's tours and gigs are canceled for this year right and then next year is a big question mark i mean right now americans can't even go to europe so um we'll find out yeah we'll find out but for me um you know i i like i said earlier i can't i try not to think about 
what's going on down the road too much. I just try to do what I can today. But when I think about down the road, I when I start to get uptight about it, like, well, what am I gonna am I gonna have work in six months or in a year? Um, what gives me a little bit of comfort because I am a home recording guy is that I think, well, people are always people are never gonna stop making music. Mm-hmm. People are never gonna stop recording music and needing drums on their music. And that's gives me work. Mm-hmm. Now, if I start worrying about how do people at the end of this whole process sell the music or get paid for the music, that is just a recipe for stress. Right. <laughs> who knows? You know? Yep. Um, I can't and we, I, we can't control it. Yeah. But I do know that people are not gonna stop making music. And being that everybody is you know, pretty much everyone has a place to make their own music to get at least their ideas down. The guitar players, keyboard players, singer songwriters, you know, and they can get pretty close with a lot of stuff out there. And even some of the drum programming stuff is pretty good now. Yeah. But it's, there's nothing like a nuanced human drum performance that sounds that's recorded really well to make a song come alive. And I have to hope that that's an avenue for me. Now that doesn't, help everyone because we need gigs we need tours to come back for our business as a whole and i i feel bad for a lot of my friends that are scrambling and they they don't know what to do and you know they the extra unemployment money is going to run out i mean we're in precarious times so um there's there's a lot to be determined i hope we can make good choices as a as a whole and be unself you know be be selfless Mm -hmm. Uh, and do make the short-term sacrifices so that we can get things back. Um, but yeah, I, I would think 20, I, I hope that 2021 is gigs come back and touring comes back, even if I'm not doing it because we all, we need the whole boat to rise. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's definitely, it's crazy. Um, but I'm, I'm the same way you are. Like we could sit around and, think about what could happen, you know, worst case scenario or something, but that doesn't do anything for anyone. I think the, the the one positive that I see in all this is a lot of people who I've talked to have stepped back a little bit and been able to reevaluate career, reevaluate direction of their career, maybe build that home studio or get some more, uh, you know, some more remote recording work or rediscover something that they had maybe neglected or something like that. So it has slowed the world down a little bit, which I think is good and, and, you know, looking at the positive, but hopefully it'll, you know, hopefully this will soon be in our rear view mirror and things can kind of start getting back to normal. But Definitely agree. Yeah. There's, there's, there is, there is a, there is a gift of time if we're not uh, stressing out about, you know, our keeping a roof over our head, if we're blessed enough to have our needs met, the, then we can appreciate the blessing of the time we have. Not everyone can, but mm-hmm. for those of us that can, yes, this is an opportunity to dive deeper into stuff. You know, read the books you didn't read. You know, uh, for me, I've been I've been diving more into like really improving my craft, what I'm doing at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people are doing that, like you said, because it's all we got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You can only watch Netflix for for so long, so. Um. So if if people want to keep an eye on you and what you got going on, where's the best place for them to follow you? Should they do it on Instagram or? Yeah, I kind of, I had a website, but nobody uses those anymore. So I just, I just use my Instagram and I, sometimes I share regularly on there and sometimes a little bit negligent, but 
um, yeah, I sometimes put some playing up there. Or, you know, there's a lot of pictures of drums. I like it. I try. It's very drum drum cent drum centric. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mario, uh, I want to thank you for for taking the time to do this. I know that you know we've been talking about doing it for a while, and so I'm glad that that you decided to come on and and share your experience and share your your insights and your stories. I, I really do appreciate it, my man. Thanks a lot for having me, Nick. I, I appreciate it. Of course, anytime. All right, buddy. Take care. You too. There you have it. That was Mario Caleri. And you can find the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 573. Also, if you like the podcast, do me a favor, leave a rating, leave a review. You can do that on iTunes. It takes about a minute. Also, if you're not on the mailing list, I send out a weekly email with everything going on with Drummers Resource, the latest releases and all that. And also, if you're on the mailing list, you will automatically get a copy of my ebook, which is called Stick Control Variations. It's 11 creative exercises to help you with your speed, your independence, your dexterity, all of that stuff. You can do that at drummersresource.com. And other than that, that's all I got for you. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.